good morning, everyone. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm a little nervous. The Packers are playing the Falcons today, and I love the Packers. I don't want them to lose. Just kidding. Uh, for all those new people, like Martin said, I'm Ben. Uh, my preaching style is a little different. Martin's a teacher. We got that. Jesse's more of a preacher. I, for some reason, default to comedian, and I'm trying to get away from it. If I have a mic in my hand, I transform into Jerry Seinfeld, and it's a terrible thing, and I try not to make as many jokes, but it happens. So I'm the comedian pastor, but a very bad one. But uh, So today, in this series, we are talking about his kingdom come. And I realized, uh, as I was preparing for this, how many here, minus Martin, were born in America? Anyone not born in America? Okay, sweet, sweet. So we as Americans have no idea of a kingdom, correct? Have we ever been under a king? Us, here. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I said the last time we had an actual king reigning over us, we left and America was born. And so to understand his kingdom and the role we play in his kingdom, we have to first understand what a kingdom is. And so... In America, we get our ideas from like movies, TV shows, uh, Braveheart, Lord of the Rings. Where's Kenny? Downstairs. Oh, there's Kenny. Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones. I've never watched it, but there's a throne, so I'm assuming there's a king. Uh, and uh, Braveheart is interesting because I'm half English. I'm actually more than half English. My dad is from England. My mom's family comes from England, so I, I claim 75%, even though it's not true. And in Braveheart, watching it, halfway through, people turn to me and go, wait, this evil king's from England, they look at me and go, wait, you're from England, you must be evil. And so I got beat up so many times over Braveheart that I can't even describe it. Punched, kicked on the ground. Uh, but so that's where we get our ideas from kingdoms from. And to like a practical one, today if I said name a kingdom, what would you guys name? Good. That's, uh, United Kingdom is actually not a kingdom. And that's where I default to. I'm like, oh, the United Kingdom. The queen has two powers. <laughs> like she's just a figurehead. She signs, she signs bills, the parliament passes, and she could dissolve parliament, which is an awesome power to have, and it's never been used. And if I was in power, I'd use it, because if I only had two powers, why not use both, right? But so that's our idea of a kingdom. But to understand God's kingdom, a kingdom is not a geographical area. It's not the United Kingdom. It is a place where a king reigns in full authority. What he says goes, what he thinks goes, the law he passes goes, what he thinks about you is important, and what we think about the king is important. And so we have this idea, we sang today the song Good, Good Father, which is an awesome song. So if our view of the king is of a good king, not of the brave heart king who killed people, if our king leave you as a good king, that Jesus is a great king who wants to pour out his love on us, that's great. But more importantly, I think for today, is we need to see how the king views us, right? Identity is a huge thing, uh, a huge topic right now where, like, we get our identity from our jobs. We get it from our Facebook likes. I quit Facebook two years ago because of that. I'm like, I'm spending too much time. I get back on in December or November, and I still default to, man, no one's liking my stuff. I must be worthless. It's funny. No one likes my selfies. I don't take selfies. But... uh. And so all these things are vying for our identity, all these things. But if we understand this message from this point that we are under Jesus' reign, when we accept Jesus, he is our king. So what people say about you, what Facebook says about you, that does not matter. What he says about you is the only thing that matters. And so we have to view this message from that lens today, that this is what he thinks about you, and it's the only thing that matters to us. And so I'm going to be really open and honest right now. 
Uh, I hope you don't mind some vulnerability. Uh, and this comes from, I'm going to plug Celebrate Recovery one more time. You guys need to come to Celebrate Recovery. The church as a community can't be a church. I say this all the time. I grew up in church. We come to church with a mask on. We, I call the church the great costume party. Everyone's wearing masks. No matter how bad your day was coming in, no matter what fights you got in with your parents or your wives, wives, wow, your wife coming in, we step on that doorstep and the biggest smile comes across our face and we're like, hey, how you doing? Great, how are you? How you doing? Great, how are you? A community of the church, if you're a community, the community is not there just to fake around anything. A community is there to help us through hurts, habits, and hang-ups. If no one knows what you're hurting you, if no one knows what habits you have, no one knows that you're hanging them up on something because you offended them, we can't have a real community here. So please come to celebrate. It just started over. We are on step one again. So now's the time to come if you ever want to. It's not for addictions only. It has helped me tremendously. And that is why I'm going to be completely open and honest with you right now through that stance of loving Celebrate and loving open and honest churches. So one of the things I struggle with most is self-worth. I do. I never think I'm good enough. Uh, I'm a blogger for the City Lights Church blog, Meet Pete and Jesse. How many blogs did I write last year? Anyone know offhand? Two. Who said two? Wow, that's pretty good. Thanks, Mike. Mike reads my blogs. I feel a little better right now. I wrote two in January of last year. I did not write any more. You want to know why? I start typing it out. I read it over, and I hold that delete button down because I'm like, someone else could say this better than I can. I'm not worth it right now. And so I've always dealt with that in my life, and I don't know why because my parents are great. I don't know what it is. And so this all came to a huge mess the day after Christmas this year. And this is where I'm open and honest with you guys. Uh, my wife stayed down an extra day, or an extra few days. I drove back the day after Christmas by myself, which is very depressing. I don't know why, driving in the dark by yourself. And everything overwhelmed me. Thinking about the new year, everything overwhelmed me. And I looked at my past year, and I said, I absolutely did nothing. I'm worthless. And I actually got put in this depression, and people saw it, my wife saw it, I said it at Celebrate, I was so depressed. I went home, opened up my journal, looked at last year's resolutions, read through them, and one of them was with the journal more, that wasn't done, which is pretty funny. I was like, oh, the journal more, well, didn't do that. I crossed out the date, wrote in 2017, and went into the most depressed state I've ever been in my life. All because my value was coming from something I thought I had to do, and not coming from the king who had my value at his mind. And so today I'm also preaching to myself. It's funny, even as I worked on this sermon, I said, this is not good. Martin can, can do this better. Kevin could do this better. Anyone could do this better. And I had to break that mentality in my mind. So today I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself as much, maybe even more. I need to hear this. But our identity is coming from so many things, so many things. But like I said, if the king is the only authority that matters in our life, when he inaugurated the kingdom, when he died and rose again, the king is what we get our value from, correct? Amen. So if you want to turn to Matthew thirteen forty four, let me know when you guys are there. It will be up on the screen as well. But I like to make people turn in their Bibles. Everyone there? That was a small yes. (laughs) 
So this is a parable, and the backstory of this, and this is sort of a, a funny picture of Jesus as well. Like in Kevin's story today, when Jesus passes by him and intends to pass by the disciples, that's Jesus being humorous. Like he's like, I'm going to just walk by these guys and see what they say. So in this, Jesus has just finished telling the parable of the sower to the crowds. The crowds don't get it, so he explains it to them. He then leaves the crowds with his disciples, and he's in a house, and the disciples say, I don't get that parable. So he explains it to them again and tries to explain parables to them. And then he goes right back into more parables, which I just think is humorous. They're like, we don't get this stuff, Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to tell you guys some more. And so he goes into this parable, and this says, it's Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so how many of you have heard that one before? A lot of people, it's a common parable. And there's two common ways, as I try to struggle with this water, to uh, interpret that. And one way is that we're the man, we find the treasure, we cover it up, and in our joy of the kingdom, we sell everything we have to purchase it. And while that's a great way, and you can challenge me on that later, I'll give you guys my email address, I'm going to go a different way with that today, another understanding of it, and this is why I'm doing this. One, the kingdom was, we didn't have to pay anything to get the kingdom, correct? So why would we, even though we should give everything we have to it, the original purchase of the kingdom wasn't through us. Jesus paid that for us on the cross. So this cannot be about us. In my mind, this cannot be about us finding the treasure. And one, why would we cover it back up and then go buy a field? We'd steal that treasure. Anyone else ever like treasure hunting? I remember as a kid, I would go to the Outer Banks a lot and like Blackbeard's treasure was supposed to be there. So I like buy a treasure map, looking around as a kid, never found one thing, maybe a needle. <laughs> but, but so if we were to find treasure, I'd take it, right? So I wouldn't be like, oh, come on, get everything for this. So I'm challenging you today. This is not about us. So the other thought is that word treasure, when it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, that word treasure is actually found in Exodus. And it's not, and in that scripture he's not talking about us he's actually talking about Israel he says you Israel are my special treasure that same form that same word and so I want to tell you today that the king's view of us is not determined by our outside surroundings the king's view of us is that he found us in a field saw us wanted us because we are his special treasure and that's where this verse is where I want to go with this today and there's a few things that I want to point out. And as I work through these notes, I'm going very quickly, so I'm going to try to slow down. Uh, If not, we're going to do extra worship at the end, which everyone likes anyway. Uh, And so there's a few things I want to point out. One is that he found us. When he found us, he covered us back up. Why? In Exodus 25, it says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God saw us, saw our value, and knew that other people would want us. Other things would vie for our time. So he covered us back up and said, I don't want anyone having you. I'm a jealous guy. It's not like a weird jealousy. Jealousy is only weird when you want something that you don't have yourself. Like if I said, Bob, I want that shirt. I'm jealous that you have that shirt. That's a sin. We are God's people. He owns us. So we liken this to like a husband, like if my wife was cheating, she's downstairs listening in the kids' room, don't ever cheat. If my wife wife was cheating, I have the whole right to be jealous about that, correct? 
That is not a sin in any form. So God is not some weird jealousy where you're dating someone and they're following you around places. Anyone ever had that happen? Like you're like hanging out with people. And all of a sudden, the car drives by. You're like, whoa. <laughs> like the person's car drives by. That's always weird. That never happened to me. So don't, that's not my wife. I'm just, I heard stories. Uh, and so this is a healthy jealousy. God knows what's vying for us. He knows what's coming after us and what sees fake value in us. And when those things get us, they're going to leave us empty and dry. He's saying, I don't want that for you. I'm jealous. I deserve your whole heart. I deserve your whole worship because you are mine. I purchased you. And so he covered us up. And I think it's this great thing because he knows, he knows everything else will leave us feeling empty and worthless. Everything else. And so he knows, I know their fullest potential and I want them to be mine. And so he's a jealous God. Two, he went out in joy. And this is the best, this is my favorite part about that verse. It's, uh, I'll read it again. Which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. Anyone ever make a big purchase? I bought a house two years ago and I was not joyful about it. <laughs> we, we crunched the numbers and we're like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to give all our savings to put the down payment on this house and the closing cost. I went up to my bedroom laid on my bed, and had a panic attack. (laughs) Jesus knew what this was going to cost him. And this is the best part. He knew what he was about to suffer. An innocent death. Innocent. He did no wrong. He looked down, saw his treasure, and said, you're worth it. So today, turn to your neighbor and go, you're worth it. And it's good. I actually, I say that to myself all the time, but recently, uh, on Friday night, I went to this flotation chamber. Has anyone ever seen those? They fill it with salt, very shallow water. Anyone a Stranger Things fan? I tried to get the upside down world because that's how Eleven got there, but no one gets it except the Stranger Things fan. So go watch Stranger Things. But I'm in there in complete isolation, darkness off, and I was struggling that day. This is this past Friday. I was struggling with this sermon going, this is not good. And I had to lay in there, complete darkness, no sound, floating, which is an awesome feeling because I don't float. I'm a big guy. <laughs> floating it feels like you're in gravity there's no sound no lights and all and I started praying and all I had to like say to myself I kept saying Ben you're worth it this is worth it you are worth it and so that's one thing I love about this in his joy he saw you on the cross when he was hanging there he didn't have any second thoughts he didn't look down and go well Ben's there I don't want Ben and this isn't worth it he went out in his joy knowing the beating he was about to take knowing that his beard was going to get ripped out he went out in joy. And I find it, I love the verse in Philippians where it said he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. Can you imagine, you, we can't even picture it we, because we can't scope how big God is. God, who's outside of time and space, who doesn't need anything, doesn't want anything except you, decides to humble himself. We can't compare it. We can't say that's well, like Donald Trump deciding to become poor. There's nothing to compare it to. You can't compare a God who has everything, is self-sufficient, outside of everything, Humbling himself. Can you, like, what can we compare that to? None of us have ever humbled ourselves that much, correct? He did that in complete joy. For you, you are a special treasure. And if that doesn't make you feel good today, I don't know what will. That he saw everything, he saw your future, he saw your past, and he still said, you know what? I'm so happy about this. This is worth it. This is worth it. And so, uh, in Jude one twenty four, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it quickly. This is my favorite verse about joy and his joy. And uh, 
It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless in the presence of his glory with great joy. Why? Because he paid the price. He sees our value. He sees what we're worth. And he says, you know what? They're worth it because I died. I rose again. I don't see them through a human lens. I see them through my lens and I see them blameless. They're as white as snow. And he did that with complete joy. I, can, I love picturing that in my head of Jesus in heaven presenting us to the Father joyfully and going, this is Robert. I love him. He's my son. And I'm so joyful to announce him to you blameless. I just do that all the time. Like, I have like makeup stories in my head. I'm like, oh, there's Jesus. He's talking about God to me. And then it's just great. And so that's another thing I do to like deal with my self-worth issues. I have to like picture Jesus telling God I'm worth it. And it's awesome. And like just him smiling. I picture this big smile on Jesus' face. Let's just close our eyes right now. You can picture any Jesus you want to picture. Any picture of Jesus you have and is in your head, picture that thing smiling at you and saying you're worth it. Right? Isn't that a great feeling? And so he went out in joy and he paid everything he had. And so we get into this. We have a song here we love to sing, and it's one of my favorite songs. It's Jesus Paid It All, All to Him I Owe. And we get to the bridge, which is a really pumped up bridge, and it's, oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Well, I agree that he paid the debt of sin. We actually owed nothing. So we think, and this is a pastor friend of mine, as I was working on the sermon, posted this to his Facebook. I'll credit it to him, even though I don't know where he got it from. His name's Doug Johnson. He wrote this quote, There's a big difference between paying a price and paying a debt. Paying a debt is something that is owed Paying a price is for something that is considered valuable. Jesus paid the price because the Father sees you as valuable, not a debt wanting to be paid off. So isn't that great news? That takes all the guilt out of everything. Because we'd be guilty the whole time thinking, oh, Jesus has covered our debt. That's fine. Like, wouldn't that make you feel like you, out of, not like pure obedience, out of joy for him? It would make you feel like you have to do something. And that's not where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in rest, knowing what he paid for us, and then it will serve him through an obedience because of a great love for him. We actually did a video here. I wish I would have remembered it before I wrote this sermon. We did a video years ago for the church, and it's Jesse and me. And Jesse gives me his car in the video, because I had no car at the time, so it made sense. And then he's like, Ben, this is free. I want to give this to you. I don't want anything for it. But in that video, I'm, like, doing everything for him. I'm like, hey, Jesse, he's, like, playing video games. I'm, like, cleaning off the TV at the same time. And Jesse's like, stop it, Ben. And that's how we go through Christianity sometimes. We serve out of, like, a fear that we owe something to God. We owe nothing to him. The price was paid because you were valuable. Isn't that great news? I'm going to read that quote one more time because I think it's a great quote. There is a big difference between paying a price and paying a debt. Paying a debt is something that is owed. Paying a price is for something that is considered valuable. Jesus paid the price because the Father sees you as valuable. That's so good. That makes me want to tear up. It's so good. You are worth it to him. You're not some debt he had to pay off. You are worth it to him. And that's where we should draw our identity from. Like I said, he's the king of our lives. He's the only thing that matters. He's the only authority that matters. So why are we letting all these other outside things tell us who we are? The king is on the throne reigning, and he's saying, you're worth it. You're worth it. The other thing I noticed in this, he covered his back up, and then he went and bought the field. Isn't that odd? He didn't say, like, hey, I found treasure in the field. Can I buy that treasure? 
He went to, I like to add on to the story. Don't put this in the Bible. I'm not adding on to the Bible. I'm just like picturing the rest of the story in my head. So the man goes, finds the person who owns the field, and says, hey, here's everything I have for that field over there. And I just picture the guy being like, what? That field? That dirty field? My cow's pooping it? You're giving everything I have for this field? And it hit me as I was studying this. I was like, man, this is so good. The world sees a field, sees a dirty field. God sees treasure. The world is saying, this is just a field. That's just a dirty field. There's filth. And God's saying, you don't know what's under there. (laughs) So our value is determined by Christ. So no matter how much you think your sin has covered you up, no matter how much you think you're filthy, no matter what the past has covered you up in, God does not see that. God sees you as valuable treasure. Taking a pause. Check the time. So knowing this now, what do we do? What's our response to this? Knowing that the king's authority is the only authority that matters and the only thing what he says about us matters, what do we do with this? And one is our first response to, should be to constantly tell ourselves that we're worth it. Regardless of what everything else is saying about us, we should constantly be telling yourself you're worth it. And uh, Jared said this once, uh, I was in, with him in New York, and he said this line, he said, if we talk to other people like we talk to ourselves in our head, we will be locked up for abuse. Correct? So stop trash talking yourself in your head. I'm not kidding. That's where most of my thoughts come from. No one else in this room has ever said, Ben, that was the worst blog I ever read. You should not write blogs. You know where that thought came from? My head. So I'm going to use a Martin line here. I love this Martin line. Stop it. (laughs) Stop trash talking yourself in your head. God does not see you as not worth it. He sees you as valuable. And that plays in, we'll never be fully effective in this kingdom. We're part of this kingdom. We're never going to be fully effective if we don't realize the value he has towards us. No one serves out of a servant mentality. No one. No one's like, oh, I'm a slave. I'm a servant. I'm just serving. No one does that joyfully. But when you realize that he sees you as a valuable part to play in this kingdom, he knows what your fullest potential is in this kingdom, that causes you to want to serve with everything you have. No matter what's telling you you're not worth it, you are worth it. And I have this issue as well of my self-worth. I'm always thinking, well, what, what can I offer? Uh, I, I'm an all right speaker. I'm an all right writer. Uh, I'm an all right musician. But I always have to stop and pray and say, God, what, what is the fullest potential you want me to be in here? Like so many times I'm trying to do things myself. I'm like, well, if you know me, I learn a lot of things just for fun, and I never excel in those things. <laughs> which comes from my self-worth. You know self-worth leads to procrastination? I thought of that. I'm like, man, I procrastinate because I don't think I'm good at these things. And I was like, well, that's good. So, but so I learned tons of things and never excel them. Why? Because I look at Kenny and go, well, Kenny plays the guitar excellent, and I play the guitar okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep going at okay. <laughs> and that's a terrible mindset to be in. So I have to stop and go, God, what is your plan for me here? You see me as valuable. What do you see me most effective in? What do you see my value being used in most? So that's the first step. Stop telling yourself you're not worth it. Stop it, as Martin would say. I love that. 
The next step is, since God is a jealous God, we have acknowledged that he covered us up because he knew that everything else would leave us not satisfied, we should turn our full affection back to him. He deserves our praise and worship. Why? Because we're his. This isn't like, oh, i got to go pray to God. This is out of complete joy. Out of complete joy. Why? Because when we feel most valuable, all our fears are gone, our insecurities are gone, and we can approach him in complete just surrender and worship him. He has our best intentions in mind and everything. We need to partner with his heart. So to partner with that, prayer, worship. You're never going to know God's heart if you don't like actively engage his heart in something. Correct? Like I, I can't know Robert if I don't hang out with Robert. It's impossible. I've known Robert for two years now, and I know him better than hanging out with him. That's all God wants. He wants community and fellowship with himself because he deserves it because we're his and he knows how valuable we are. So turn your affections back to him. That's the second step in this. And like, I love this verse. I didn't write it down, so I'm going to semi-try to quote it. There's a verse, I forget where it is, and that's a terrible thing to do when you're speaking, but it says, I keep following broken cisterns that never satisfy. And that's what everything else is in this world. A cistern's like a pot. Let's just say I keep following a broken water thing over that water cooler. It keeps running out on me. That thing runs out, correct? Why don't we turn our whole affection and follow the thing that never runs out? And so he knows, like, uh, and everything's going to leave us feeling worthless. Everything. We can turn to anything. Sports. One day, you're going to get injured and not be good at sports. Correct? One day, you're going to be too old to play sports. When that fades, what are you turning to for your, for your self-worth and your value? When you get fired from your job, when no one likes your selfies, what are you turning to for your value? Those are empty things that have a crack in them, and they're always run out. They will always run empty, and they'll leave you thirsty and feeling drained and empty. So we need to turn back to the one who offers us living water, continual flow that never runs dry. And the last challenge, and this is the toughest one, I think, and it may be more difficult for others, is because of knowing our value, we then have to look at other people knowing their value. <laughs> right? So that means your neighbors. When it says you love your neighbor as yourself, so we got the, we're starting to try to love ourselves. Now through that, we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we see our value, we have to see their value. And then the second part is your enemies. I've never looked at a guy who I'm like fighting with at work and being like, that guy's so great. He's so valuable. The Lord sees him so good. Like he's treasuring the Lord's eyes. I've never seen that. I'd never do that. But God calls us in, the, uh, in Revelation, there's a part where John sees the multitude of believers. And he doesn't see, he looked out and he saw like people in like raggedy clothes and like they look dirty. They were all clothed in the brightest white linen you could ever see. So if that's how we are in the end, we have to view ourselves and others like that now. Correct? So the people we don't like at work, our family members we can't get along with, when we start to see their value, we can start reaching them. And even in this city, I love Scranton. And let me, I'll give a little step in my depression earlier. I was driving, back when I was depressed, I was driving by Scranton. I was on 81, looping around in Dixon City. You can see Scranton from there. And for the first time ever since moving here, I said, wow, this is a crappy city. 
edit that word out of the podcast. Well, this is a junky city. This is a lame city. I've never thought that. I moved here from one trip up here and saw the city and said, I need to be here. We need to plant a church here. And we planned the church. And that's when I knew I was like struggling. When I looked at Scranton and said, this is terrible looking. I'm serious. And like, that's the mindset up here. And I'm always like, I always wonder when people are like, oh, I live in Scranton my whole life. Jesse talks about this. It's like, this is a terrible place. I'm like, no, I see hope in Scranton. And for the first time, I stopped seeing hope in Scranton. And that's because I didn't value it like God valued it. And that's because I didn't value myself. And so in uh, Romans 15, 7, uh, Paul's talking. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That is a challenge. It might be one of the biggest challenges we have to accept one another as Christ accepted you. That ends all arguments, that ends all angry coworkers that you don't like, that ends every thought of like, oh, I hate that guy. We have to view him like Christ saw us, clean, spotless, valuable as treasure. We, we are ambassadors of this kingdom now. So Jesus is on the throne, not fully on the earth, but since we accepted Christ, we are part of his kingdom. It's not fully here uh, until the end of the world, and then it's going to be awesome. He'll be here reigning with us. Uh, but since we're part of it now, when we accepted Christ, we're part of this kingdom. His rule and his reign matter. His authority matters. His rules matter. Law matters. And so if we want to be ambassadors of that kingdom on the earth, we have to start loving people. I can't speak into Bob's life, Robert. I keep saying Bob, Robert, Bobbert. I can't speak into his life if he thinks I have issues with him. I can't. And the same thing for him. Like, I love... Robert, Robert so, actually said so many words to me that were made sense and were clear, and I loved him. They helped me out. But if I didn't know him, and if I just thought, who is this guy, he, I wouldn't l- allow him any space in my life to speak those things for me or to me. So we are called to love. We're not called to preach to people angrily. We're not called to get in fights with our coworkers over Christ. We are called to love people first, and out of that love and out of seeing their value, we can actually prophesy into their hearts and say, you're worth it. There's obviously an issue. If, if like they're angry at you for some reason, they obviously have some underlying value issue as well. They, they don't think they're worth it. So when we can start calling out that they're worth it and start treating them like they're worth it, it changes everything. And that's how we can be effective in this city. I love Scranton. I want to see Scranton change. I want to see hope brought back to Scranton. We can't do that if we're like, what a junk city. The buildings are falling apart. There's people on the streets. Uh, protesting, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but uh, I want to see hope in Scranton. There's got to be hope, and that comes out of a place of love. And so I asked the worship team today to do How He Loves, and this is the reason why. I remember clearly two times in my life, and I love this song. Uh, John Mark McMillan wrote it. Maybe people think David Crowder did it, but no, don't believe that fraud. <laughs> but uh, I, he's not a fraud. I don't mean, don't believe that the fact that he wrote it, but I love this song, and this song has some weird words in it, like people struggle with the sloppy wet kiss, I never struggle with it, it's odd to picture, but it's not like you don't picture two people kissing, you picture heaven and earth meeting in the most awesome way, and so I love this song, but there's two times in my life where this song has helped me out with my self-worth, and I'm going to explain to him now, I hope I don't tear up, I remember the day I asked Crystal to marry me, I remember that day, she said yes, she went home. I went to a church service. I sat in that service, and they played this song. And 
In my head, I was thinking, I am not worth this person right now. I don't see value. And this song started playing, and I remember just crying. Because God was saying, you're loved. You are worth it. And I was like, this is so good. And it helps, it propels every bit of fear. When love really, when Jesus' love really hits you, every bit of fear is wrong. And you can walk out onto that wave. You can walk out. There's no fear anymore. If, you, if you're confident in his love for you, you know that he's not going to let you drown. And the other time was actually just today. And they were singing this song. And I looked over at my daughter. And I said, I am not worth this beautiful thing that's in front of me smiling at me. And the song was playing. And God said, you are. You are. That was my plan for you. You're worth this. These things that bring you joy, you're worth that. And so today, as we go back into this song, if anyone wants prayer, Robert will be able to hear praying. Where's Linda? Linda's downstairs. Keely, if you don't mind praying. Uh, Keely, if you don't mind praying. Kevin, if you don't mind praying. If anyone's dealing with these issues of like self-worth, I love to pray for you and you can even turn and pray for me. <laughs> like we're lying to ourselves if we don't somehow struggle with this sometimes. If we're, everything else is combating our identity and God is saying, no, don't listen to them. I'm your king. Listen to me. You are worth it. So we're going to go into this song. Uh, we're going to sing it through. I'll be up front for prayer. Uh, so will Robert and so will the Keelys and Kevin. Um, and if you just want prayer, and we'll pray for you for anything. And I think one of the things I realized, if you don't think you're worth it, you stop asking for prayer. You do. You stop. You're like, well, I guess God really doesn't want to heal me because I'm not worth it. So I challenge you today. If you have sickness in your body, if you're dealing with something, I challenge you to come up and realize your worth. I will pray for you and we will see that thing healed. If not today, it will happen because you're worth it. You're worth it to him. And if you're dealing with any self-worth issues, if you're thinking I'm not worth it, Please come up here and just let us pray for you and pray God's love on you. And that's it. So thank you guys for letting me speak today. Uh, And just come up for prayer. I challenge you. No one's not worth it for prayer. God's love is available for everyone in this room. Come up and get prayed for.